0: Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app to listen to Business Wars early and ad free. It's 10 o'clock at night, February 1999, Paris, France. Tom Ford pulls back the curtain and peers out the window of his apartment. Snow falls against the dark sky. Ford squints his narrow brown eyes to get a better look. Ford is the creative director of Gucci, the storied luxury brand. He's considered one of the most exciting fashion designers working. His clothes are bold and sexy, almost dangerous. But recently, that danger has followed him into his real life. Below him, the street bustles with pedestrians and cars. But Ford is focused on one black vehicle parked across the street. He's still there. Ford's partner, Richard Buckley, joins him at the window and looks out. Are you sure? I don't see anyone inside the car. Ford points through the window. He's leaning back, but you can see the top of his head just above the window. How long has he been there? Eight? Nine hours? Buckley follows Ford's finger and sees what he's referring to. I mean, it's weird that he's still there, but I think it's a leap to think he's staking us out. (laughs) Do you really think Louis Vuitton would send someone to watch you? They hired a private investigation firm to investigate Gucci executives. I don't know why they wouldn't watch me, too. This thing is ugly. A little over a month ago, the owner of Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy, the largest luxury brand in the world, started buying up Gucci stock in an attempt to take over the smaller Italian company. Gucci's CEO is doing everything in his power to prevent the takeover, including engaging in some dirty legal tricks. It's turned into a nasty fight with low blows and mudslinging on both sides. Ford keeps his eyes trained on the man in the car below. I told you we have security teams sweeping the offices to make sure LVMH hasn't planted microphones, right? Buckley nods. Ford turns and looks at him sharply. You haven't let anyone into the apartment recently. No workers or anyone? No. You're sure? Yes, I I promise. Ford relaxes momentarily. I'm not paranoid. It wasn't even four years ago that Maurizio was gunned down on the street. This business is crazy. In 1995, Maurizio Gucci, the grandson of Gucci's founder and the former CEO of the company was murdered in front of his office building in Milan. Buckley puts his hand on Ford's shoulder. I know, and that was shocking, but Maurizio was shot by his jealous ex-wife, remember? The only reason Louis Vuitton wants Gucci is because of you. You brought that company back from the brink. They're not going to harm you. Ford nods, but still keeps watch. During the past nine years he's been at Gucci, he's learned that behind the glamour, The luxury goods market is cutthroat and tumultuous, with more backstabbing than fine stitching. And who knows how bad this rivalry could get.
1: Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know.
0: Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downing. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once-sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now, free, for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW. Or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. The interlocking double G's and the overlapping L and V are two of the most recognized logos in the world. People aspire to purchase a Louis Vuitton handbag or a pair of Gucci loafers as much for the logo as for the fine craftsmanship and quality leather. It's the branding that broadcasts the message of the consumer's power and success, their status, and selling status is big business. In 2021, Louis Vuitton was valued at $16 billion, the most valued brand in the world. Gucci was right behind, worth $15.6 billion. But their success was far from assured. Both started as small family-owned companies. A former runaway, Louis Vuitton started his company in 1854, making trunks for traveling. Light and efficient, Louis Vuitton trunks were perfect for traveling on the newly invented steam engine. Soon, his luggage was in demand by aristocracy around the world. In 1921, almost 70 years later, Guccio Gucci started a leather goods company in Florence, Italy. Inspired by the luggage he had seen working as a poor teenager at the Savoy Hotel in London, he specialized in suitcases and handbags. With the help of his sons, He rapidly expanded the product line, offering shoes, belts, wallets, keychains, and more. Soon, movie stars and royalty across the globe were sporting Gucci accessories. But by the late 1970s, both companies were at a point of transition. Louis Vuitton, now run by Vuitton's great-grandsons, was stagnant, and vicious infighting between Guccio Gucci's heirs was overshadowing his product. However, new leaders with grand ambitions for both companies set the two businesses on a collision course. Over the next 45 years, they chase each other into new markets, compete to hire the most exciting designers, and race to transition from family businesses to global mega-brands. In our new four-part series, we track the family feuds, boardroom battles, and runway backstabbing as Louis Vuitton and Gucci fight to become the most sought-after luxury goods company in the world. This is Episode 1, All in the Family. It's early 1977, just outside Paris, France. Odile Racame watches as her older brother, Henri-Louis Vuitton, slams his hand down on the conference table. No, absolutely not. Odile shoots a red-faced executive a sympathetic look. The executive has just proposed that Louis Vuitton use sewing machines to stitch their bags instead of sewing them by hand. But Henri and his brother Claude, who run the company together, are adamantly opposed. Claude shakes his head. I agree with Henri. Louis Vuitton has a reputation for quality. We can't do anything to jeopardize that. Odile leans forward. She loves her brothers, but they're stubborn and can get so caught up in honoring the past, they're blind to the future.
1: I don't think he's suggesting we sacrifice our quality. I think he's saying there are ways to maintain our quality, but also produce the bags more efficiently.
0: Henri looks at her sharply. Annoyed, she's speaking out. No, we produce the bags the same way our father did, our grandfather did, and our great-grandfather did. That's how we maintain long-term viability.
1: Then why are Christian Dior, Yves Saint Laurent, and Gucci surpassing us? Gucci makes the chicest bags in the world. Meanwhile, we're seen as passé. Stodgy.
0: Claude waves his hands dismissively. Just a blip. We'll be back on top soon enough. We just need to keep doing what has made us successful in the first place. Produce the highest quality bags possible. Odile crosses her arms... Annoyed that her brothers won't listen to her. Henri looks around the table. So we're all agreed. No machines sewing our bags. We continue to make our products by hand. We change nothing. Mm. Odile sighs, seething. For four generations, a Vuitton man has led the company. But it's time for a change. Odile's not going to let her family's legacy die just because her brothers are too lazy to make any changes. She knows just the person who should lead the company. But it's going to take some convincing. It's 1977, Paris, France. Odile Racame walks into the living room of her apartment, where her husband, Henri Racame, plays the piano. At 65 years old... His fingers race over the keys with agility, and his broad shoulders strain the seams of his shirt. Odile sits on the couch, quietly watching until he completes the piece. Odile claps as Rakame spins around on the bench. He gives a small bow. His eyes sparkle behind the large glasses that take up nearly half of his face. Thank you, thank you. But I know why you're really here. You want to know if I did that favor you asked me before I started goofing around on the piano.
1: I can't tell a lie.
0: Well, I am ever the dutiful husband. I have indeed reviewed Louis Vuitton's books.
1: And...
0: Brachamé sits next to her on the couch. In a word, dodgy. Unless some radical changes are made, Louis Vuitton's sales will continue to drop... As you know, it's steadily losing ground to its competitors.
1: What kind of changes?
0: Well, Gucci recently opened two stores in Japan. It's a smart move. The economy's booming there, and while consumers in Europe see Louis Vuitton as stayed, in Japan it's still a strong symbol of wealth and style. Louis Vuitton should aggressively pursue the Japanese market. I'm happy to go over all of this with Henri and Claude. Odile sighs and looks down, shaking her head. They won't listen. They'll have to if they want the brand to continue into the 21st century. Or maybe
1: my brothers aren't the right leaders for the company anymore.
0: Rakame pops off the couch. No, I just sold my steel company. I want to play piano, go for walks, travel, you know. Odile stands, placing her hand on Rakame's forearm.
1: Please, your family. There's no one else my brothers would even consider letting run the company.
0: Rakame rubs his temples. Odile can tell he's wavering.
1: Henri, please. This is my family's legacy. I can't let it fail on my watch.
0: Rakame closes his eyes. Fine. Just for a few years to right the ship. Odile throws her arms around him and kisses him.
1: Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Over the next few months, Odile and Rakame convince Henri and Claude to turn over control of Louis Vuitton to Rakame. Once in charge, Rakame's first order of business is to push the company into Japan. Retail space there is too expensive to establish freestanding stores, so Rakame negotiates to sell Louis Vuitton products through the major Japanese department stores. However, he takes a risk and demands full control. Instead of a standard franchise agreement where the stores purchase goods from Louis Vuitton and sell them as they see fit, Racame lays down an ultimatum. Louis Vuitton will fully manage their own section of the department stores. They will decide which products to offer, how to display them, and set the price point. At first, the stores balk. But Racame tells them if they want Louis Vuitton products at all... This is the arrangement. His gamble pays off, and the department stores give in. Under Racame's leadership, Louis Vuitton is expanding its market for the first time in years. But while Louis Vuitton is getting its house in order, the house of Gucci is falling apart. It's July 16th, 1982, Florence, Italy. Maurizio Gucci sits at the end of the long board table in Gucci headquarters. Thirty-four years old, he still has the gangly limbs of a teenager, and he shifts to get comfortable in his seat. He feels the index cards in the inner pocket of his suit coat. They contain his thoughts on the vision for the future of Gucci. His heart thumps as he prepares to stand up and deliver them to his family, sitting around the conference table. Maurizio's father, Rodolfo, and his uncle, Aldo, have been running Gucci since the 1950s. Aldo spends most of his time in New York running Gucci in America and overseeing their expanding retail stores around the world. Rodolfo manages the company in Italy, controlling its production arm. It hasn't always gone smoothly, but the arrangement has largely worked. Gucci is doing well, but Maurizio has spotted some troubling signs. He believes that they overlicensed their logo and expanded their product line too much. Gucci is in danger of losing its prestige. A death knell for a luxury brand. Maurizio's mouth is dry. He's never been much of a conversationalist, let alone a public speaker. But this is too important to give in to his anxieties. At the other end of the table, Aldo calls the meeting to order. Let's begin. We'll start by reading the minutes. Maurizio's heart pounds. But just before the secretary of the board can even begin reading, Maurizio's cousin, Paolo, jumps up. I'd like to make a statement first. Uh, yeah, go. Two years ago, Paolo secretly tried to launch his own company using the Gucci name. When his father and uncle found out, they fired him from the company. He's been brought back in but he's still the black sheep of the family. Paolo ignores the groans and reads from a piece of paper. As the director of this company, I've been denied access to go through the books, which goes against... Paolo stops and snaps his head to the secretary of the board. Why aren't you writing this down? I want this on the record. If you won't record it, I will. He pulls out a small tape recorder from his pocket. Aldo rears up and charges around the table. You are not recording anything. Paolo grabs the recorder and cocks his fist. Maurizio jumps to his feet, convinced his cousin is going to slug the 77-year-old Aldo. Maurizio wraps his arm around Paolo's neck, holding him in a headlock. Paolo struggles against it, but Maurizio keeps him in his grip. Aldo attempts to wrest the recorder from Paolo's hand. In the scuffle, Aldo's arm flails, his hand smacking hard against Paolo's face. Blood trickles down Paolo's cheek. Shocked by the blood, Maurizio quickly releases Paolo from his hold. Paolo brings his hand to cheek, staring at the blood on his fingers. Call the police! Police! He grabs his briefcase and springs out of the office. My family tried to kill me! They tried to kill me! That's what happens in Gucci board meetings! Maurizio slumps into his seat. The index cards in his pocket poke into his chest. He doesn't think he's going to need those today after all. A depression settles over him. How is Gucci ever going to move forward if they can't stop fighting with each other? There have already been press articles about the family's infighting. This isn't helping Gucci's slipping image. A year later... Maurizio gains substantially more power to shape Gucci's future. It's summer, 1983. Maurizio Gucci sits in a lawyer's office in Milan, Italy, receiving his inheritance. His father passed away from cancer recently, and Maurizio is his only son. He's already received deeds to apartments in Milan and New York, and a chalet in St. Moritz, Switzerland. He's also gotten access to bank accounts around the world. It's exciting and overwhelming. Maurizio's father was a demeaning man, both tough on his son and also coddling. Maurizio's barely been able to make any decisions for himself before now. The lawyer looks up over his reading glasses. I understand we haven't located the certificates for the shares yet, but you are to inherit all of your father's Gucci stock. Maurizio smiles and nods. He's now the largest shareholder in the company. The other half of the shares are divided between his uncle and three cousins. A flutter of nerves surges through him. He hopes he's ready for this. The lawyer reaches behind him into a safe and pulls out a small black wallet with a Gucci logo on it. Oh, and he also wanted you to have this. Maurizio takes it, feeling the soft crocodile skin between his fingers. He knows this wallet. It was made in the early days of Gucci. His grandfather had given it to Maurizio's father, and now Maurizio's father is giving it to him. Maurizio looks up at the lawyer... This isn't just a wallet. It's a message from his father, from beyond the grave. He's handing the purse strings to Gucci, over to Maurizio. It's time for Maurizio to put his fears and anxieties behind him and be the leader Gucci needs. Maurizio stands, his usually slumped shoulders held back proudly. As he strides out of the office... He feels confident. He has the vision. He just needs to get the rest of his family on board. But the rifts in the Gucci family won't be easily hemmed. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business, it's your life whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners, too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant sort of looks the same? Well, amidst the chaos, there is one shining star that is certainly worth your culinary affection. Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Choose from classic meal kits that can be prepped in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes. My favorite recipe is carb-conscious and calorie-smart but super satisfying. It's turkey meatball pomodoro with roasted garlic butter broccoli. Look, we've tried a lot of home delivery meals before— but Home Chef is superb, from the taste to the simplicity to the selections. And for a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners 18 free meals. Yes, 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life. You can find it at HomeChef.com BW. That's HomeChef.com BW for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. HomeChef.com BW. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. It's 1983, Florence, Italy. Maurizio Gucci stands at the head of the conference table at Gucci headquarters as his uncle Aldo and three cousins shuffle in. Maurizio smiles at them broadly, running his hands over the typed agenda in front of them. This is his first board meeting since inheriting his father's shares in the company. As his relatives take their seats, Maurizio feels the iciness emanating off of them their eyes looking him up and down like their boxers sizing him up before a fight. Maurizio smiles at them, in what he hopes is a reassuring manner. Uncle, cousins, thank you for coming. I'm so excited to work together in this new capacity. Hmm. Aldo grunts. Yes, it's a very exciting day for you, and so convenient that my brother signed over his shares to you just days before his death. Saving you millions in inheritance tax. Maurizio gives a tight-lipped smile. Yes, my father always looked out for me. Uh Uh-huh. Maurizio knows his uncle and cousins think he forged his father's signature and date on the stock certificates. But there's nothing he can do about it. He just has to press forward. His vision for Gucci is good. They'll come around once they understand it. Uncle, what you and my father built is extraordinary. Thanks to you, the Gucci double G's are an international symbol for class and elegance. But it's time to look ahead to the rapidly approaching 21st century. We need to hire top-tier managers, streamline our production, and implement the most sophisticated marketing campaigns. Aldo waves his hand. You need to slow down. Sit back, learn a little before you start changing everything. The systems Rodolfo and I developed work. We don't need to change anything. They did work, but there are troubling signs. We have too many products of varying degrees of quality. There's no clear idea of what Gucci is. Companies like Hermes and Louis Vuitton are considered higher class than we are. Nonsense. We're making money hand over fist. We don't need to change what we're doing. (sighs) For now, but I'm looking at the future. Let's put it to a vote. Uh, What? All in favor of upending the way of doing business that's brought fame and fortune to this family, vote aye. Maurizio grudgingly raises his hand. Aye. He looks at his cousins. Not one raises his hand. Aldo smirks. I guess we're keeping things the way they are. Aldo leads his sons out of the room, leaving Maurizio alone at the head of the table. Maurizio crumples up his agenda and slams his fist down. He thought he finally had control of Gucci, but it was a delusion. If he wants to make any kind of meaningful change, he's going to have to convince one of his cousins to break with Aldo and form an alliance with him. There's one natural choice. His cousin Paolo, who has long feuded with Aldo, But it's risky. Paolo's a live wire. But if Maurizio wants to see his vision for Gucci come to fruition, he doesn't have another option. It's June 1984, Geneva, Switzerland. Maurizio sits across from his cousin Paolo on the terrace of the Hotel Richemont. The two men sip cappuccinos and a tense and awkward silence engulfs them. They haven't spoken directly in two years, since the board meeting where Paolo's face was bloodied. Maurizio looks out at the tall pine trees lining Lake Geneva. The weather's beautiful. Paolo rolls his eyes. We're not here to chit-chat. Tell me what you want. Maurizio places his small mug on the table and clasps his hands together. A way forward. This has gotten all out of hand. You suing Gucci, Gucci suing you. You turned your own father over to the American authorities for tax evasion. It's not good for Gucci. Paolo shrugs. I'm doing what I need to get my due. What if there was another way to do that? What if we made a new company that would control all of the licensing of the Gucci name and split it? I'd control 51% of the shares, but you'd be president, running it as you see fit. Paolo raises his eyebrow, intrigued. In exchange for what? Voting with me to oust your father as chairman of Gucci U.S.? Paolo looks out on the lake. Maurizio studies his face, trying to get a sense of what he's thinking, but Paolo's face is impossible to read. Maurizio's heart races. If Paolo says no, Maurizio genuinely believes that Gucci might go under. Not today, not tomorrow, but someday. Maurizio takes another sip of his cappuccino and shoots his last shot. And I'll buy you out of your Gucci shares for 15 million. I know all these legal battles have drained you. Paolo shifts his eyes back to Maurizio, studying him. Twenty-five million. Twenty. Paolo's quiet for a moment. Sweat breaks out on Maurizio's palms. Then, Paolo stands and sticks out his hand. Deal. Maurizio shakes his hand, a giddy relief washing over him. Two months later... Maurizio and Paolo take Aldo by surprise. They vote together to dissolve the Gucci U.S. board, removing Aldo as chairman and installing Maurizio in his place. Maurizio gets straight to work. Under his guidance, Gucci buys back several of its franchises, bringing more stores under their direct control, following Louis Vuitton's model. Gucci reorganizes its wholesale business. Maurizio cancels license agreements like the one with the tobacco company R.J. Reynolds, which Maurizio thinks is bad for the brand image. For the first time, Maurizio is able to start implementing his vision for Gucci, working to preserve its classic and elegant image. But Aldo is not a man who goes down without a fight, and he has a plan to take back control of the company. Over at Louis Vuitton, Henri Rocamé's ambitions are growing quickly, and the company is following suit. It's 1986, northeastern France. Henri Rocamé drapes his arm around his wife Odile's shoulder, sipping bubbly at one of the most famous restaurants in France's Champagne region. This is pretty great, isn't it? It
1: truly is.
0: Racame looks around the room and grins. His cheeks ache from all the smiling he's done, but he can't stop. The 30 top leaders of the champagne industry are in this room. And now, he's one of them. Concerned that Louis Vuitton was vulnerable by only having one product, Racame recently bought Veuve Clicot, one of France's largest champagne houses. It was a long and bitter fight, but... Rakame prevailed, and now he's celebrating. The truth is, at 74, he's never felt more alive. It turns out he loves the luxury goods world. It's much more exciting than the steel industry. He attends fashion shows, parties with starlets, flies on private planes, and he wants more.
1: Judging by the grin on your face, I assume I'm forgiven for making you delay your retirement.
0: Rakame nods vigorously. I'm never retiring. I want to build an empire. Beyond just bags and champagne, I want perfumes, watches, more liquor, shoes, jewels. Odile holds up her glass of champagne.
1: I'll drink to that. It's
0: 1987. Milan, Italy. Maurizio Gucci sits at an antique table in his lawyer's office going over his options. The past few months, his life has been mired in legal trouble. His uncle Aldo told the police that Maurizio forged his father's signature on the Gucci stock certificates. And his pact with Paolo fell apart after Paolo felt that Maurizio iced him out of the licensing company they created. Paolo never sold Maurizio his shares. And he's told the police that Maurizio illegally moved money overseas when he bought a yacht. Maurizio snaps his head to the door of his lawyer's office as it flies open. His driver stands in the doorway, sweaty and out of breath. Maurizio jumps to his feet. There's only one reason his driver would burst in like this. Police? His driver nods. Waiting for you at the office. I have the car parked in the alley out back. We have to go now. Maurizio grabs his briefcase, nods to his lawyer, and follows his driver out of the office. The two men race down the stairs out into the alley. Maurizio dives into the back seat, lying down so no one can see him through the window. His breathing is fast and shallow, even though he's in good shape from playing tennis and skiing. His driver pulls up in front of the garage where Maurizio keeps his collection of cars and motorcycles. Fortunately, no police are waiting for them here. His driver grabs a large motorcycle helmet and hands it to Maurizio. Put this on. No one will recognize you. Maurizio pulls the helmet over his head, flipping down the visor. His breathing echoes inside the helmet, making him feel claustrophobic. His driver hands him the key to a red Kawasaki bike. Don't stop until you're over the Swiss border. Maurizio nods. Switzerland won't extradite him. He'll be safe there. If he can get there. Maurizio mounts the bike, putting the keys in the ignition. Now when you get to the border, keep your helmet on. I'll follow you later with your belongings. Maurizio nods and grabs his driver's hand, clasping it tightly. Thank you for everything. Go, go starts the motorcycle and pulls out onto the street. As he navigates through the narrow streets of Milan, headed into exile, he stews. He tried everything to make it work with his family. He's explained his vision, tried to show them his reasoning. But they're stuck in the past, too mired in their grievances to understand what he's trying to do. Gucci may have started as a family business almost 70 years ago. But if Gucci is going to remain a viable company, Maurizio has to stab his family in the back and push them out for good.
1: You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. (laughs) Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
0: It's 1987, Paris, France. Henri Racame strides into a busy restaurant, feeling like he's walking on air. The most exciting business proposition has just fallen into his lap. He's here to talk to one of his friends who's an investment banker about it. Ostensibly, he's asking his friend's opinion if he should accept the deal, but Racame already knows he's going to go through with it. He's more here to boast about what he's accomplished with Louis Vuitton. He spots his friend, already seated. Rakame struts over. Rakame's friend stands to greet him. Henri, so good to see you. Rakame sits, unable to keep the smile from flirting at the edges of his lips. His friend wipes his mouth with his napkin. So, what's going on? Your secretary wouldn't breathe one word about what you wanted to meet about. I've had a very interesting offer that I wanted to discuss with you. He leans forward, speaking in a whisper. Moet Hennessy wants to join forces. Moet Hennessy is one of the largest luxury drinks companies in the world. A merger between Moet, a champagne company, and Hennessy, a cognac one. Rakame's friend's eyebrows shoot up in surprise. Really? Yes, the CEO approached me last week. A short while ago, he noticed some suspicious trading of Moet Hennessy stock. He's worried someone is planning a takeover. He pointed out that Louis Vuitton is also at risk for such an action. But if we merged, we'd be too big for anyone to raid. We'd protect each other, you see. So what do you think? Rakame doesn't wait for his friend to respond. He plows ahead. I think it's terrific. Think of how we'd be able to expand with that much capital behind us. I've already started compiling a list of companies to look into acquiring. He reaches into his pocket, removing the list. But before he can start reading, his friend interjects. Henri, wait, are you sure that Moet Hennessy sees this merger as a marriage of equals? Of course. How else would they view it? As an absorption. Moet-Hennessy is a much bigger company than Louis Vuitton. You could lose a lot of power if this goes through. Do they even think you'd stay on? I mean, you're 75. Rakame shakes his head vigorously. No, 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 we're on the same page. And, and of course I'd stay on. I'll let you in on a little secret. This isn't the first time Louis Vuitton and Moet-Hennessy have discussed joining forces. But before, Moet-Hennessy wasn't interested. They thought Louis Vuitton was small potatoes. They didn't want a company that only had one product. I changed that. I'm the reason they're interested in us now. Rakame's friend looks down dubiously. Okay. Rakame doesn't pick up on the hint of skepticism in his friend's voice. He continues elaborating on all the good that can come from this merger. Oblivious to the red flags his friend has spotted. It's 1987, London. Maurizio Gucci sashays into the lobby of the Morgan Stanley Building. His light brown hair is swooped over his forehead, brushing the rim of his large aviator sunglasses. A beautiful camel hair coat drapes cleanly off his broad shoulders. The gangly awkwardness of his youth is gone. This is a confident and elegant man. And he is here to make a deal to get his company back. He spent the past year forced out of Italy. Gucci has stagnated in his absence. His cousins have installed a bureaucrat to run Gucci. There's no core idea of what Gucci means or what its product is. And customers are leaving in droves. But Maurizio is going to change that starting today. He's meeting with a private equity company called Investcorp, which specializes in revitalizing troubled companies, cleaning up their finances and reselling them. If Maurizio can convince them of his vision, they will buy the other Gucci's out. Instead of his antagonistic family members as his partners, Maurizio will have people who understand finance and can help him implement his vision. Maurizio's rep at Morgan Stanley approaches him. He's a short man in a gray suit with thinning brown hair. Maurizio, welcome. Good to see you. The men from Invest Corp are upstairs. They're very excited. If everything goes well today, I think odds are this goes through, but I, I just want to make sure you're all in. If this happens, it will mean major changes. Gucci won't be a family business anymore. Maurizio slowly and deliberately removes his sunglasses, looking down at the small man. My cousins are inept. My uncle is old and of the past. I lay awake at night stewing about all the competitors that have had time to flourish because we've been at war with each other. Gucci is a Ferrari, but my cousins are driving it like a Fiat With the right partner, money will flow to Gucci like it never has before, and that partner is not anyone I'm related to. Is that all in enough for you? His rep nods, grinning. Let's go get this done. Maurizio nods, and the two men make their way to the elevator. Maurizio's vision for Gucci, his elegant style paired with his surprising charisma, wows the men from InvestCorp. By the end of the meeting, they vow to do whatever it takes to buy Aldo, Paolo, and Maurizio's other two cousins out of Gucci to become Maurizio's partner. Henri Racame also finalizes his deal merging Louis Vuitton with Moet Hennessy, forming a new company called LVMH. It's the largest luxury brand in the world. Racame is thrilled. Both Rakame and Maurizio have successfully transitioned their companies from family firms to corporate entities, bringing them into new phases. But in our next episode, Rakame and Maurizio discover that instead of consolidating their power, they've just signed their own pink slips. Prime members, you can binge every episode of Business Wars ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. From Wondery, this is episode one of Gucci versus Louis Vuitton for Business Wars. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. If you'd like to read more about Gucci and Louis Vuitton, we recommend Kings on the Catwalk by Hugh Sabag Montefiore and The House of Gucci by Sarah Gay Fortin. I'm your host, David Brown. Austin Rackless wrote this story. Voice acting by Michelle Philippi. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor edited and produced by Emily Frost sound design by Kyle Randall our producer is Dave Schilling our executive producers are Jenny Lauer Beckman and Marshall Louie created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering.